Chapter Six, Part Two of All in the Day's Work by Ida Tarbell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I fall in love. Part Two. It was the beginning of a weekly party. Madame Bonnet gave the Egyptians their dinners. We agreed to take dinners once a week with her. We couldn't afford more, and besides, we wanted to be on the safe side in our relations. There must be no question in their minds about our entire respectability respectability as we understood it what interested me particularly was that at once they wanted to understand our conventions social and religious and political nothing disturbed them more i found than a feeling that perhaps they had not quite understood that unintentionally they had infringed on our customs once convinced of this we could go with entire freedom to our weekly egyptian evenings as i recall them they were happy evenings much like children's parties at home for the egyptians loved games tricks charades play of any sort they laughed and shouted and if something went wrong flew into a rage like children the meat of the connection was the talk which sometimes ran far into the night all of these young men were training for some kind of professional or official position two or three of them had taken from three to four years at german gymnasia or english universities all of them spoke three or four languages the prince's english was perfect and no one of us could ever hope to approach the french of the group learned for the most part in switzerland as children they had much more curiosity and real information about the social customs of other countries than we had they were eager to know all about our ways particularly the life of women their relation to men before and after marriage there were would-be reformers of egyptian marriage customs among them especially did they resent the convention which prevented them looking at the face of the bride before the marriage ceremony one of the group had made a vow never to marry as long as that custom existed and was urging his compatriots to join him nearly all of them insisted that they would never marry more than one woman they asked with a frankness startling to our ears about the way monogamy worked in the united states they were curious to know the position of the mistress and when we were shocked and insisted that a good man never had a mistress they were frankly incredulous it would never work out they insisted one wife they understood but one wife and no mistress seemed entirely impractical politics interested them profoundly particularly did they hate england how deeply and bitterly i did not realize until in january of ninety two news of the death of the khedive tufik pasha son of ismail pasha great-grandson of mohammed ali came to the rue de Somerard madame bonnet came in at once to tell us how sorrowful our friends were and to ask that we dine with them that night we found them very grave he was a good man they insisted our friend what was going to happen now i took it they feared changes in government which might make their own futures uncertain they were uneasy frightened and wanted us to understand the reason behind their anxiety after dinner a large number of their compatriots filed into the room we were begged to stay they evidently wanted us to understand better their suspicion of what england might do in this crisis the longer the talk the more bitter they grew 
down with england they began to cry indignation and enthusiasm are qualities as contagious as disease before i realized it i shared their anger and was drinking repeatedly in lo sucre good mohammedans that our egyptians were they never touched wine drinking repeatedly to loud and angry roars of abba l'angleterre the egyptians were not only a picturesque and enlivening feature in our life they had a social value which they never suspected we used them rather shamelessly to impress wandering americans who looked with badly concealed scorn on the latin quarter and particularly on our narrow and stuffy rooms a prince was our neighbor we said loftily and to prove it we could show an autographed photograph which the prince on his own notion had given me i kept it on the mantel in the little salon when we felt particular need of asserting ourselves we told of our weekly dinners and they lost nothing of their gaiety and interest in our telling there was so much more flavor in them we always assured those who tried to hi-hat us than ordinary sight-seeing offered i have always felt rather proud of the way we handled ourselves in that year keeping the entire respect of our egyptians it was not always so easy it fell into my awkward hands to handle one rather violent love affair a pretty and vivacious young girl had joined our party at the request of her brother will you look after her the egyptians were delighted with her and she treated them as she might a group of american boys could see no reason why she should not go out with them only our combined disapproval our insistence that if she did she soon would be classed in the quarter as little better than the gay little girls who swarmed about and with whom we occasionally out of the corner of our eyes saw our egyptians she must not run that risk but while that was managed the inevitable stir of youth could not be managed and it was not long before i had one of the nicest of the boys begging me on his knees to let him pay his addresses to my little friend insisting that he would marry her never take another wife he wept and pleaded but i held my ground until finally the young girl who loved his suit but not the boy was safely on the ocean a long time afterwards i had proof that we did look after ourselves when a couple of our party were going to italy one of these young men gave them a letter of introduction to an egyptian friend in milan the letter was not presented and not opened until two or three years later when my friend showed me the postscript it read surtout soyez convenable avec ces dames after the egyptians came our french professor a woman of forty buxom competent gay-hearted an able teacher i have never known man or woman more shrewd engaging character or more expert in turning the qualities she found to her own advantage if she respected or admired them she took no more than she gave frequently as in my case much less but if she found a pupil lazy or dishonest or stingy or rich and irresponsible she took mercilessly such people deserve nothing nothing she declared once when i protested she respected me because i worked but she always told me frankly that although i read french easily and wrote it pas mal i should always speak with the detestable english accent no ear too old 
however i could be made more fluent my vocabulary enlarged my grammar perfected and to that end she bent all her efforts establishing several useful exchange relations the chief of these was her most intimate friend Monsieur x a man who i suppose had been for many years her lover Monsieur x had no superior intelligence but he was industrious and bon enfant and partly at least through the help of madame a had come to hold an excellent official position she kept him busy in proving his chances at the moment she took me on she had him translating a big volume on the english system of handling the unemployed and the helplessly poor an acute problem for france in the early nineties as she already had pried out of me full information of all i was trying to do she saw at once the possibility of a trade if i would help him in translating he would secure reports and information on subjects in which i was interested it seemed a good thing for me at any rate and the arrangement was made i continued to help with the book until it was published it was well received even couronne by the academy of science to my astonishment i found then that madame a's interest in this book and its success was that it would help her in making a more profitable marriage for Monsieur x they had settled on a wife that i knew but as she told me his position was so much improved by the success of his book that he was worth a much larger dot therefore she set out with his help i suppose to find another wife they succeeded and the affair was arranged i was deeply disturbed by the matter i believed as i still do that the only safe basis for a happy marriage is a compound of physical harmony capacity for companionship combined with understanding and acceptance of each other's ideals i could see little chance where it was a matter chiefly of balanced income but madame a had no sympathy with my idealistic attitude towards marriage of course it left her high and dry the little dinners which the three of us had shared almost every week became dinners a deux the first night i was torn with sympathy will you never see him again i asked of course not now later perhaps these things arrange themselves mademoiselle but i noticed she ordered a double cognac that night madame a rendered one very great service to our group one which we could never repay we had been but a short time in paris before we realized that one of our duties was to be helping out american girls and women who had come to europe to study a little sightsee a little travel a little expecting easily to form congenial relations with people of the country and who for one reason or another had never been able to do this they were disappointed and unhappy the four of us standing together made a nucleus they envied we made it a rule to do our best to help them out but in at least one case it involved us in serious trouble among those who had attached themselves to us was a woman of some forty or more years with a curiously repellent personality i have never known a person to produce a more melancholy effect on strangers i have seen our little salon empty itself if she dropped in on our evening at home even madame bonnet's little black dog riquet who had adopted us would slink around the edge of the room and beg to be let out if she came in 
what was the matter we could not imagine more than once she threw herself into my arms and sobbed that she was unhappy in great trouble of which she could not speak miss c had been some three months in the house when we came home from a week-end trip to be met by an outraged madame bonnet miss c she told us had been arrested arrested for stealing at the bon marche in the louvre she was in st Nazaire. there was a note for me i must do something think of the disgrace to her establishment the note told me only where she was that she had engaged a lawyer asked me to see him i did and found him of the type which i suppose hangs around all prisons into which great cities dump women of the street and petty criminals his only interest was in a possible retainer how much would i pay him for taking the case nothing i assured him until i had talked to the american authorities i went to the consulate where an irate and worried official swore loudly at the faculty of american women for getting into trouble in france here i am he said saddled with a girl who is going to have a baby and who swears she'll kill herself if i don't arrange for her to have it so her family will never know i was afraid she would do it too and then there would be another nasty scandal to hush up so i got the man here and told him he must put up the money to see her through he laughed at me but i pulled this revolver out of the drawer suiting the action to the word and told him i thought i ought to shoot him but that if i didn't i'd send for the girl's brother and see that he did well he settled for ten thousand francs but that does not let me off what am i going to do with the baby and now here you are with one of the nastiest kind of cases for a french court they can't stand foreigners stealing from them but what am i to do i wailed she'll have to stand a public trial you must impress the judges find out if she's got friends get cablegrams show she has relatives willing to help her read her letters see if they don't show what is behind this and when the trial comes have all the pretty girls and prosperous-looking men you know present they'll look at you and they'll think twice put on a campaign woman and so i started out to put on a campaign i began by reading her letters i did not go far before i had the story a tragic one miss c was well born her family prosperous and important in her state she a graduate of a great university she had been a successful teacher was to have been married to a man whom she had loved for years with passion and depth for reasons i never knew the engagement was broken in an attempt to forget patch up her shattered hopes she had come to europe for study and travel but she couldn't forget and every week for months she had written the man long letters and every week they had come back to her unopened her despair became so black that as she told me later i had to do something and so as when one bites on a sore tooth she had begun to steal the proofs of it were all there in her room a pathetic collection of articles not worth stealing slipped mainly from bargain counters among them there were at least seventy pairs of gloves of every size and color none of them any one of us would have worn there were some fifty penknives there were a pile of half-bolts of ribbon and lace innumerable spools of silk and cotton 
packages of pins and needles all taken not because she wanted them only to hurt herself in another spot take her mind from the original wound understanding her wretchedness i could sympathize with her folly i began my campaign by telling madame of our trouble she detested miss c thought her crazy though she admitted she was a better pupil than any one of us but here was excitement also an opportunity to serve us what the council had not suggested she did there was a long wait our prisoner was transferred to the conciergerie where i went to see her a gruesome trip under the very windows from which i knew madame roland had looked in the days before she mounted the cart and took her last ride along the quay to the guillotine when the trial came the sympathizing claque was a grand success at madame a's suggestion we dressed for it in the best we had bought new flowers for our hats and fresh gloves brought over two or three handsome young women from the champs-elysees quarter as for madame a herself she made a toilette which even a judge would see and hear i had suggested that monsieur x being an important person might impress the judge she was horrified drag a member of the government into such a stupid affair no you americans must do it i'll bring the rich american and she did the rich american was a wealthy idler who for several winters had taken lessons from her largely i think because he found her so pungent and amusing he treated her royally as to fees and kept her in flowers and candy he looked his part of important man of affairs no one could have added more to our display for one could see even the judges eyeing enviously the elegance of his clothes petty larceny cases were at that time and i suppose still are taken into a court-room perhaps forty by twenty with seats for friends and the public on a mounted platform at the end sat three judges in their robes a dossier of each case lay before them they had for our friend a rather impressive collection of documents cablegrams from her family proofs that her father was or had been a man of importance in public affairs her college diploma her check-book and a letter of credit showing her to have ample funds when all was ready seven prisoners were brought in six men half degenerate petty thieves and our poor pale tired friend between them nothing more incongruous could have been seen than this well-dressed woman of evident breeding flanked by these hopeless derelicts after looking over the papers in her dossier the judge looked at her and then at us now paler than she and praying for mercy with eyes and clasped hands they were perplexed and annoyed was there an international angle to the case what are you doing in paris asked one of them harshly studying miss c answered you take a queer way to do it he said tartly why did you do this he asked more gently with a weary shake of her head she said je ne sais pas it was madame a who won the case for it was to her the judges turned as one who they knew at a glimpse talked their language she sailed down the aisle to take her stand before them and i have never seen any one man or woman to whom one could so aptly apply the old figure like a full-rigged ship they let her talk she told how comme il faut we all were as they could see we were important serious 
rich yes rich then she said candidly this woman is crazy send her home to her friends she had solved their problem told them their duty and they followed her advice adding a fine of five hundred francs and an order that she leave france in a week after her dismissal and never return madame a had saved miss c but she wanted no thanks from her wouldn't see her nor would madame bonnet let her come into the house save to gather up her things she had been a fool and got caught to steal the riennes as she had it was a disgrace and respectable people like them could not afford to have her cross their doorways luckily for us our association with american women was not confined to problem cases there was a disturbing number of them compelling me to ask myself again and again if this break for freedom this revolt against security in which i myself was taking part was not a fatal adventure bound to injure the family the one institution in which i believed more than any other bound to produce a terrible crop of wretchedness and abnormality had not even the few successes i saw about me been paid for by a hardening of heart a suppression of natural human joyousness that was uglier even than the case of my poor miss c but i was saved from too much perplexity over what freedom might be doing to my compatriots by a gradual drifting into rather close companionship with a number of americans like ourselves taking lectures at the sorbonne and the college de france it was a great piece of luck for us since these americans were all students of more experience and attainment than any one of us there was dr john vincent of the history department of johns hopkins university and along with him his wife who spent hours of every day making beautiful copies of canvases in the luxembourg there were fred parker emory of the english department of massachusetts institute of technology and his wife there was a younger man charles d hazen a hopkins graduate a man who was to make a distinguished career for himself in french history and now professor emeritus of history at columbia the author of many valuable books serious work did not dull our new friend's curiosity about french life in general nor prevent a humorous detached view of things we were soon dining together every week in restaurants of the quarter into which we had never ventured before here for one franc fifty thirty cents we got a decent dinner vin compris as well as a gay company of students and their girls they were so merry so natural in their gaiety that none of us were anything but amused over their little ways it was in one of these restaurants that for the first time in my life i saw a girl take out a compact straighten her hat her head had been on her cavalier's shoulder and it was out of plumb straighten her hat and powder her nose that the day would come when the manners and customs of the latin quarter of the nineties would be the manners and customs of american girls in practically every rank of life would have been unthinkable to me then our new friends added greatly to the pleasure of the weekly sightseeing excursions which had been one of the features of the plan every weekend go somewhere i had laid down so every saturday we were taking a bateau mouche or train or tram journey costing only a few of our precious sous to st denis the september fete at st claude versailles 
if the weather was bad we went to the museums the churches the monuments our new friends liked the idea when spring came our promenades took on a wider range there were weekend trips to fontainebleau and to one after another of the great cathedral and chateau towns chartres beauvais rheims pierrefonds compiegne weekends in company as genial unaffected and intelligent as that of our new friends proved were a rare experience when the time came for a final break-up of the crowd in august of eighteen ninety two my first companions had already gone back to america those left of us decided to take a farewell vacation together the difficulty was to settle on a place here was something not on my schedule we considered etaples beauzeval urgat belle-isle and finally at the last moment took tickets to mont saint michel a glorious spot but after watching the tide come in for two successive days after climbing to the top and descending to the bottom of the chateau sitting out sunsets on the wall and eating omelettes at madame poulard's until we were fed to the full we pushed on to st malo and exhausted it as quickly as we had mont saint michel as we listened bored to the orchestra in the square a poster on a wall suddenly caught our collective eyes it told us to go to the island of jersey with one accord we said let's packed our bags and caught the steamer all within an hour at jersey we walked into lodgings rooms plenty of them a salon looking on the sea such sea-fish and vegetables and fruit as only that island offers we thought it was costing a fortune but when the bill came house housekeeper maid and food such as we had not had for a year it totaled just eighty cents apiece for a day that vacation put a gay finish on my first year in paris i began the second in deep depression for several good reasons first i had exhausted my reserve i think i came back from my vacation with twenty francs in my pocket all my american associates were gone or going soon i had a new address for madame bonnet had moved from the neighbourhood of the musee cluny to the more sombre neighbourhood of the pantheon and hardest of all i knew now that instead of one year more i must have at least two to finish my undertaking the homesickness and hunger for my family had never been appeased i had lived on their letters if they did not come regularly i scolded and wailed i begged for details of their daily life my mother was an intimate letter-writer delightfully frank about her neighbours and about the family she told who was at church fretted because father spent so much time with his precious sunday-school class of girls described every new frock told what they had for sunday dinner announced the first green corn in the garden the blossoming of her pet flowers snowdrops and primulas and iris in the spring roses in the summer anemones in the fall cactus in the winter occasionally she would apologize for her homely details particularly after i had written a long guide-bookish epistle home describing some ancient monument i had been visiting how i must have bored them sometimes but home details i live off them i told her you can't tell me too much about your daily doings this feeling about my family made me a sensitive receiving plate and accounts i suppose for the only proof i personally have ever had of the possibilities in telepathy 
this came the first sunday of june eighteen ninety two i had hardly taken my coffee when i fell prey to a most unaccountable alarm what it was about i did not know i could not work and finally went to the street for hours i walked not able to throw off the black thing that enveloped me it was late in the afternoon when i returned to find a compatriot with a letter of introduction waiting as he was leaving the apartment after his call i picked up my daily copy of le temps and as i always did turned first to the news from les etats-unis it was to read that the city of titusville and its neighbor oil city had been utterly destroyed by flood and fire the only buildings left in my home town were said to be the railroad station and a foundry a hundred and fifty persons had been drowned or burned to death the inhabitants had taken to the hills at that moment my caller came back for his umbrella i seized him roughly read read what shall i do he was a sensible man steady steady he said put on your hat and we'll go out and get other papers we were soon back with the last editions of all the english and french journals they all gave space to the disaster each more distressing and unsatisfactory than the one before this explains my black day i told myself the family is dead our home gone it was useless to cable for the newspapers all spoke of broken communications but the next morning as i was dressing madame bonnet came in with a cablegram hardly daring to open it i backed into the corner of the room to feel the support behind me of the walls while my friend mrs vincent still with me watched with white face the telegram was from my brother and it had just one word safe when finally a letter came i found i had justification for my day of horror for many hours there had been but little doubt in the minds of my father and brother that the family would have to take to the hills but they were safe our home was standing the experience left me more nervous than ever about them and now that my friends had gone it took all the resolution i could summon to keep my foolish alarms under control although i was beginning my second year with no money in the bank i had friendly relations with two publishing firms that seemed to see a possible something in my work there was scribner's magazine a relation of which i was justly proud not only had they encouraged me about my book but they had asked me to let them consider magazine subjects that interested me and that i was doing but while it was the relation on which i hoped to build serious work in the future at the moment i must share it with something of quicker return and that seemed to be the mcclure syndicate i felt surer of this after my first meeting with its founder s s mcclure that meeting had been just before my vacation in the summer of eighteen ninety two mr mcclure had dropped into paris in the meteoric fashion i found was usual with him and came by appointment to see me at my new address in the rue malbranche this crooked and steep passage off the rue st jacques was unknown to half the cochers of paris but mr mcclure found it and arrived bareheaded watch in hand breathless from running up my four flights eighty steps i've just ten minutes he announced must leave for switzerland to-night to see tyndall a slender figure s s mcclure a shock of tumbled sandy hair blue eyes which glowed and sparkled he was close to my own age 
a vibrant eager indomitable personality that electrified even the experienced and the cynical his utter simplicity outrightness his enthusiasm and confidence captivated me he was so new and unexpected that practical questions such as would you be interested in articles on and how much will you pay dropped out of mind before i knew it i was listening to the story of his struggle up how as a peddler he had earned money for college who could have let him go without buying his vast schemes of learning undertaken when a freshman at knox college one of which was to study every word in the english dictionary its start its development its present stage its possible future his beautiful romance with hattie his wife the story of the syndicate and of john always john this john that and at last a magazine to be soon and here i was to come in while he talked i was managing somehow to tell him the story of my life and hopes and to fit things together what was to have been ten minutes stretched to two hours or more i must go he suddenly cried could you lend me forty dollars it is too late to get money over town and i must catch the train for geneva certainly i said i had forty dollars there in my desk the sum set aside for my farewell vacation it never occurred to me to do anything but give it to him how queer he said that you should have that much money in the house isn't it i replied it never happened before but i didn't mention the vacation i had some bad moments after he was gone will of the wisp i said a fascinating will of the wisp i'll never see that money he'll simply never think of it again i'll have to give up that vacation serves me right i did see the money promptly for mr mcclure did not forget as i expected him to do but wired his london office that night to send me a cheque what the new magazine would want from me i gathered in my long and exciting interview with mr mcclure was articles on the achievements of the great french and english scientists not history not literature not politics but science discoveries inventions and adventures here i was back to my college days i found my natural enthusiasm for the physical world and its meanings which professor tingley had directed was not dead only sleeping i found that little as i knew of all these things i still had something of a vocabulary and knew enough to find my way about by hard work there was pasteur there was jansen who was building an observatory on mont blanc there was bertillon the inventor of the system of criminal identification then attracting the attention of the world it took all my courage to talk with these gentlemen but i was soon to find they were the simplest and friendliest of people for two years i kept on hand popular scientific articles whose success depended on interviews with distinguished specialists and in that time i met with only one rebuff and that was a very contemptuous one it was not from a man but from a gifted american woman who was doing valuable special work in one of the great french scientific institutions the effect of scholarship on a woman i told myself she doesn't ripen she hardens i know better now it happens but by no means to all women take dr florence sabin a great human being as well as a great specialist the contacts i made on this work left me precious memories there was my acquaintance with madame and monsieur pasteur 
one of the first articles mr mcclure asked for was on the institute then but eight years old of course that meant an interview with pasteur if it could be arranged it turned out to be easy enough the pasteurs lived in a spacious apartment in the institute big rooms with heavy furniture heavy curtains dark soft rugs of the period it was not until i was actually in the library where madame pasteur led me that i realized how sadly pasteur was crippled by the paralysis of his left side which he had suffered twenty-five years earlier after three years of incessant and exhausting labor on the diseases of the silkworm he moved with difficulty he hesitated painfully over words but his eyes were bright curious interested after a few more or less stumbling explanations on my part we fell to talking naturally they made it so easy mr mcclure was insistent at that moment on what were called human documents series of portraits of eminent people from babyhood to eighteen ninety three i must have a pasteur series monsieur and madame were delighted with the idea the old albums were brought out and the three of us bent over them exactly as we did now and then at home when the question of w w t at one s a t at two i m t at three came up again and again they stopped to say tiens voilà pierre comment il est drôle marie comme elle est jolie when the album was closed and we had talked long of his early life i made an effort to get some idea of what he was thinking of now but he said no science if you want that go see monsieur roux and so reluctantly i went down the stairs that led from the apartment the kindly old faces watching me for monsieur and madame pasteur had done me the honour to see me off and monsieur kept repeating as i went down look out the stairs are dark when finally the article came out in the second issue of mcclure's magazine september eighteen ninety three i took a copy to him he was as pleased as a boy with the pictures on a later visit he complained that one of his colleagues had carried off the copy could i get him another when i took this to him it was with the request that he write a maxim for the january eighteen ninety four issue of the magazine mr mcclure had had the happy idea of asking from leaders of science industry religion literature a paragraph or two embodying their convictions as to the outlook for the world's future their hopes for it there was need enough of encouragement the world had been going through as bad a year as often comes its way a year of despair uncertainty hopelessness what was ahead the replies which filled eighteen pages of the magazine included letters and sentiments from huxley tyndall max muller henry stanley julia ward howe cardinal gibbons and a score of others noble collection it was published under the heading the edge of the future it raised my interest in the venture to a high pitch of enthusiasm it was for me the spirit the credo of the new magazine it meant something more than i had dreamed possible in magazine journalism for the edge of the future undertaking i was asked at a last moment to collect all the sentiments i could from distinguished frenchmen pasteur certainly and he was easy of course i will do it he said come back and i'll have it ready but when i went back i found him in a flurry he had written his pensee and it was lost 
never mind comforted madame pasteur she'll come back when you have it ready for her and so i did but it was unfinished and madame pasteur had to stand over him encouraging him with tender tres bien and little pats while he wrote he was peevish as a child he didn't like the looks of it tried again and finally with a pathetic look said i'm afraid you don't want either but if you do take your choice and so i did what he had written was in the matter of doing good obligation ceases only when power fails before the time limit was up i had autographed sentiments from alphonse daudet zola alexandre dumas francois copet and jules simon as veil as a collection of impressions still clear there was zola i carried away from my visit with him an impression of a man agitated confused sulky an impression emphasized by the amazing conglomeration of furnishings of all ages and all countries which cluttered the entry stairway and big salon of his house i had to wind my way between suits of armor sedan chairs chinese lacquered tables and seats carved and painted wood to reach him standing at the end of the room the whole house was like that as is shown in a series of sketches mcclure published in one of the early numbers he talked long and violently about his enemies defended his realism hinted that he was a latter-day balzac also a great collector spending his leisure in paris at art sales which accounted for my difficulty in finding him in his own salon the sentiment he gave me was a reflection of his talk and of the point of view of his school war he wrote is the very life the law of the world how pitiful is man when he introduces ideas of justice and of peace when implacable nature is only a continual battlefield dumas fille was the only serene person in the group and was very courteous the quietest frenchman i ever met jules simon touched me deeply by what he wrote faire le bien récolter l'ingratitude c'est confier à dieu End of chapter six part two